with that, uh, John chapter 13, I'm actually going to read verse 34 and verse 35, although we're going to focus more on, well, I shouldn't say more, but uh, we'll kind of conclude with verse 35. And starting with verse 34, just these two verses, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this is true in us but becomes exponentially more true in us as you remind us of it by your Spirit. Lord, we pray for a work of your Spirit here tonight. Anoint this time, anoint me, your servant, anoint your children, your servants that are here, all of us, Lord, that we would be ministered to by the Holy Spirit and by your word. Uh, Lord, I have nothing to offer, but you have everything to offer. We pray, Lord, this would be a midweek refreshing, but Lord, not just a midweek, but as we look to the end of this year, that we would continue to be while we're becoming, that we'll finish strong, but we'll finish more in love with you and more tangible love for one another that the world would see that we're your disciples. And Lord, you do a fresh and a new work. We've been praying for revival, and we believe this is part of the key as we grow in this that you've commanded and asked us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we're probably all familiar with this passage. Everyone familiar with this? You've heard these words? Uh, But have we given serious thought to it lately? I hadn't. I mean, I think I kind of live my Christian life desiring to love people, don't you? I mean, this is not a new concept. I think I desire to live and love my wife and love the body of Christ, and I believe you probably do as well. But there's a difference between kind of, you know, knowing things and then really kind of resetting the clocks, if you will, and and meditating on it and, and thinking, seriously, Lord, how do I grow in this? Now, I want to start with uh, what I've titled a simple command. We're going to jump right in, no kind of uh, moving around, just jumping straight in to see what is it that Jesus is saying here that we can take hold of. We have here a command from Christ that's based on a command the disciples would have known from their childhood to what? Love their neighbor as themselves. But Jesus calls this a new commandment as it comes with the added component to love each other as he loves them. As he has loved them, of course, that he's already been loving them. They've experienced this. We'll get into that in a few minutes, but if we've forgotten this command or overlooked this command, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to brush up on it and reapply it in our lives. And let me encourage you with this truth that it's counterintuitive to our flesh and the world. And here it is. The longer that you've been saved, the more you'll appreciate the commands of the Lord. You know, the world doesn't love the commands of God, do they? Like, what an ogre. 
We don't like commands. We like total freedom. If it feels good, do it, right? That's what we kind of think. Americans have now come to think that's what life is all about. Anything you want to do, just do it. And that'll bring happiness. But really, the commands, they're really a blessing in our life. Let me try and explain how this works out in our lives. How many of you like map-based directions that are accurate and actually get you to the right place? Anyone prefer accurate map-based directions? Like, you now probably fully depend on Apple and Google Maps so that you can just head to that new doctor's office point. You've never been there before, sipping your coffee, no clue what the next turn, other than you're hoping it says, mindlessly drinking it, when 100 feet, turn left. And 200 feet, turn right. And by the way, we can't spell anymore now either, thanks to autocorrect and both our phones and word processing, uh, which I now call the phone auto-incorrect, as at least 25% of the time it replaces my properly spelled word with a different properly spelled word. And they're both spelled right, but big connotation different. Just this week I had one. I'm typing the word. So in closing, it said in clawing, literally. I had to, what, clawing? What is it? I've never done that. And so, and it, but it went that way. I didn't notice. So it says so in clawing. I'm like, what in the world are they thinking? I'm, you know, I'm sending that face plant, point to the iPhone, Closing equals, you know, clawing equals closing, you know what I mean. But back to the maps. Do you remember, do you remember in the early 2000s when you would print out your directions the night before? And you'd have something like MapQuest. And you'd print out these directions, and you'd even print out the picture of the map and all these different, you know, this is phase one, this is phase two, and you'd print all this stuff out the night before only to then follow them to the letter to find out that Main Street West was supposed to be Main Street East on the actual mapping uh, directions you get. So uh, you go back and forth on Main Street thinking that you will find the road. And, and the, by the way, one road's missing completely. You ever had that? It's not even in the direction. So you keep going back and forth thinking... 20 minutes, I'll, it'll magically appear, even though you will never see it because it would never made it into the directions in the first place. And because, again, the mapping software at that time, it wasn't as complete, it wasn't GPS coordinates, didn't have everything, and you swore the next day you'd get a better mapping service and never have that happening. And then you found the rest of them were just as bad. They all had the same issues. We learned by experience that mapping directions were just a bit flawed, not always accurate, and literally they had the potential to lead us astray. I mean, again, I ended up in the wrong place a couple times following it to the letter. And then I started, by the way, I started to print like three versions and compare them and say, all right, which one? Oh, if they all have this road, then I'm in pretty good shape. One's missing it. You know, you kind of uh, process of deduction that way. But God's directions however, are always infallible. And his autocorrect is always correct. 
the commandments of God are as Psalm 119.105 says, it tells us, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If you're born again here tonight, your very conversion is based on, guess what? A command. Did you know that? Your very conversion to Christ is based on a command. In Acts 17.30, speaking of God, it says, Now commands all men everywhere to what? Repent. God commanded us to repent. Yes, Jesus called us. Is it a calling or is it a command? Yes. Now, elsewhere in Scripture, as it relates to the message of the gospel, the command is to what? Believe. That's why we have it back there on the wall. The command is always to believe, but from salvation, in and upon Jesus for our salvation. That's the command. The command is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not a request. That's the command, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we have to know it's not a suggestion. It's not a pretty solid idea that Jesus has given us. It's a command. Here's the reality. If God says it, we don't need to vet it. We don't need to research it. We don't need to doubt it, but rather believe it. Do you agree with that? If God said it, we need to believe it. And by the way, even if you were to test the scriptures, say, I'm going to test God, I'm going to test the word of God. Even if you were to test the scripture, you could only do so by following it and obeying it. So you're back to belief anyway, right? If you really were going to test the scriptures, you'd have to obey it. That's the only way you could test it. And then you'd have to believe. But the commands of God... They're pure. Jesus gives this command here, but it's a pure command. The commands of God are pure. They're 100% accurate. They're trustworthy. They're dependable. They're unfailing. And more than all that, or at least another nuance, if you will, more than all that, they're life-giving. The commandments of God are life-giving not life-ruining, as a lot of the world likes to think. Well, the commandments of God, they're going to make my life miserable, boring. Now, I agree that the church down through the centuries has done enough goofy things to give people the wrong impression of God at times, and sometimes outlandish things, sometimes downright sinful things. But I'm saying the Word of God doesn't do that. It actually is life-giving, not life-ruining, not life-messing up, not life-destroying. The Bible is not a Debbie Downer for us. It's the opposite. Jesus said that you would have joy in him. So the commandments of God, all of these things, uh, our sin nature and our flesh presumes that the commandments of God are life-ruining, but that's our sin nature. Give it the stiff arm. Football analogy. Some of you guys got that right. And there's, uh, you know, 
the ruining part, the ruining part in our minds is when we follow our own commands. Then you really will ruin your life. Follow your own commands, and you will ruin your life. So will I. Our own logic, our own self-created or cultural-driven mantras. Here's one that I used to hear all the time when I was in corporate America. In corporate America, like 15 years or so. Work hard, play hard. You ever heard that one? Work hard, play hard. Now, I understand the cliche. In and of itself, it's not sinful. You can say that. It's not a sinful statement to work hard, play hard. But as a mantra, there's a value. There's definitely a value to work. The Bible has a lot to say about work. And uh, there's there's some value in having playtime and downtime and laughter, what have you. But... As a, as a philosophy for living, as some sort of mantra for your life, uh, you know, it, um, that the world would think of it, and, and again, that terminology comes from the world, even the word mantra, but, uh, but it's not the depth and wisdom that comes from Christ. You agree with that? It's not the depth and wisdom that comes from Jesus Christ. It's not a scriptural guide for living. Work hard, play hard. It's shallow. I mean, really, when you compare it to Scripture and you compare it to Christ, it's shallow. Just think, how would that statement, uh, this is what I live by, hold up for Christians in North Korea? I've sent you a word of encouragement. Work hard, play hard. How would it hold up in China? How would it hold up in Venezuela, Iran, parts of India? Hearts of Sudan. I've sent you a word of encouragement. Work hard, play hard. Think about it. How is that? Where's the depth there to give anybody, I can persevere. I can do this. I must do this. No. It misses the greater needs that we have as human beings and that we have in the body of Christ. It misses God's deeper purpose in our lives. Again, the things that the world comes up with. That's why they reject the commands of God and replace them with fun things, entertainment things. Again, these things aren't all wrong, but I'm saying you can't, you can't build your life on entertainment. You can't build your life on cliches. You can only build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. So if his commandments are to be believed, you can build on his commandments. Does that make sense? So we have to establish that this simple command can be trusted out of the gate. Because he says, a new commandment I give to you. But it misses that deeper purpose. And I can prove it in the next part of the passage and in the command. But here's what we need to hear with our hearts. When Christ gives a command, in this case, he says a new command, and we'll see why he calls it new in just a second. When Christ gives a command, we need to what? We need to listen. All right, Lord. Especially, he's saying a new commandment. I need to listen to this. And purpose to believe it. And with his help, we're going to need his help to apply anything, right? So we have this command from Jesus to love one another. Are you doing that today? You can ask yourself right now. 
Am I loving the body of Christ? Am I loving the people that God has placed in my life that are my fellow brothers and sisters? If not, are you ready to commit to it? Are you ready to commit to it? Say, Lord, I, I do want to commit to loving my brothers and sisters the way that you would have me to do it. Maybe, and I hope you are saying yes, but how do we do it? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. We have a perfect example. Look back in the text. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That part of it's not new. That's built on love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus goes on to say, here's the new part, as I have loved you. That's the new part. There was never the literal physical example of God walking with people to demonstrate it. You've heard of demos, a product demo? Jesus demonstrated the love of God. Obviously, the cross was the greatest demonstration, but he was demonstrated in loving the disciples in those three years of training them. Does that make sense? The example here is in the command. The example is in the command. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And it comes directly, this example comes directly from the one giving the command. It would be like a father uh, telling his son, I want you to go wash the car and do it exactly as I taught and demonstrated to you the past three times that we did it together. You know? We did it together. We did it in these sections. You have the given command, but you also have the demonstrated work itself, the plan and the steps to follow. So when you give the command, you've demonstrated, you've done it together. Jesus did life with the disciples. They saw how he lived day in and day out. So when he said, as I, you notice he didn't give a bunch of bullet points here? Why? Because they had been observing him day in, day out. We talk about this all the time. Consistency equals maturity. People will know how much you love them and the consistency, not because you gave them a Christmas present every December and don't talk to them again the rest of the year. Wow, you really love me to give me that Christmas gift. See you next year. Right? Jesus didn't do that. He said, I'm going to give you all a really good training. I will see you in a year. Once a year, we'll get together. Big holidays, birthday. No. He doesn't give a list of things because they saw him live life day in, day out. They saw a demonstration of love. So what exactly did Jesus demonstrate to his disciples in respect to love? Well, we don't have the time in our lifetime to cover it all, but let's observe a few core concepts of his love, his love. Now, out of the gate, we know God's own stated definition of love in John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That he gave. God gave his son. And Christ, likewise, gave his life and service and sacrifice. But practically speaking, what did that look like 
prior to the cross where he gave his body and his blood. We can think of it like this. Jesus gave up to give out. He gave up to give out. He shed the glory of heaven to fulfill a mission of love. And there may be some things that you own or still own you, or still own you, that Christ wants you to shed to fulfill a mission of love through you and into the lives of your brothers and sisters. You think that's possible? There may be something God wants you to shed, something he may want me to shed. Christ gave up his rights, his self-comfort, just to relate to us in human flesh. But that was just the starting point. Jesus was up early and often to what? To pray. Early and often to pray. His love for his father, but also his love for his sheep, his disciples. To love like Jesus is to learn to pray like Jesus. I mean, I don't mean his, his perfection. That won't happen. But following his footsteps. No time to pray equals no sincere love for others. Would we agree with that? He says, as I've loved you. He got up and prayed for people. So if, if he prayed for people, what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to pray for people. He says, as I did it. Not come up with your own list. He said, what you've observed in me, I want you to do these things. Jesus had compassion on people. The lost, of course, but also his sheep that were no longer lost. That were actually now those that he was caring for day in and day out. So his disciples, of course, he had a lot of compassion for his own disciples, what their needs were. For us, that compassion is going to come from where? We can't manufacture it. It's going to come from being in the Word and being in prayer. That's where the compassion is going to come from. We're not just going to conjure it up and, and say, that I will have compassion. We have to be in the Word. We have to be in prayer, as Jesus already modeled. So he said that is going to be that starting point, that launching point. His compassion extended to who? Sick people. Flawed people. Well, that's all of us. Sinful people. That's us. Outcast people. Even tax collectors, which was unheard of in that time. He would love them anyway, wouldn't he? And he called some of them to be his disciples. With that compassion, he gave people Time. With compassion, he gave people time. It's been well said, you cannot love without giving time. It's going to be real hard to love people without time. You're going to have to give that commodity up. Jesus made time for people. And with that time, he invested his energy in their lives. It wasn't a checkbox kind of thing. He was engaged with his disciples and committed to their health, committed to their growth and their development. If you're committed to your kids' health, growth, development, 
It's going to take some time, isn't it? It's going to take time when you didn't plan on it sometimes. You're going to have to modify plans sometimes. You're going to have to scrap plans completely sometimes. Wouldn't you agree with that? To really love people. Jesus did it. We're going here. Why are you going through Samaria? Why are we doing it this way? He would told the story of the Samaritan. You have to modify your schedule. It's going to take time to show compassion. Jesus met real needs. Physical needs such as food, spiritual needs, relationship needs, comforting needs, instructional needs, encouragement needs, leadership needs, training needs. Again, always what the need was for each individual person. But again, all of this takes time. All of it takes time. And not just time, commitment. Any good marriage is going to take time and commitment. Any outflow of love following this footsteps, Jesus is going to take time and commitment. Was Jesus committed to the mission? You better believe he was. Was he committed to giving time? Of course. He stepped into time to give it. Just like a marriage, to show love, it's going to take that commitment of time and commitment. But this is his command. He goes, as I've loved you. This is a really high bar he sets, by the way. I mean, take the most amazing Christian you've ever met, and times at time, infinity, you've just, you've just watched Jesus live out love. It's going to be a hard, high bar. But at least it's going to be an accurate one. We're going to know exactly what love... We're never going to see anything that's not actually love. We're going to, today we see a lot of false things, but with Jesus, you're only going to see the real deal. It's always going to be authentic. But that time and commitment takes a sacrifice of ourselves, doesn't it? One of the most sobering warnings in all of Scripture is in Matthew chapter 25 to people who were too busy too distracted, too disinterested, too important, too focused on themselves to go out and minister to their brethren. Jesus said, the least of mine. He's saying that these are actually, uh, I know that a lot of people think of that passage as to the lost, and I think it has good application also to the lost, but the primary bullseye is to the believers that are in the church that are suffering. And then the extension of that is to lost people that are also in prison. And so it's not only to the church, but that's the bullseye. And the outer rings would be the lost. Oh, this is such a problem for our everyone is so busy, maxed out society, isn't it? Very often, the place that we come to, we, we think we're, of ourselves as way too busy, maxed out, is very often due to years of self-interest, years of self-love, and cultural assimilation. We've assimilated the culture rather than assimilating into Jesus' commands. So we become so familiar with the culture, we can't even see that his commands stand in stark opposition to the culture. And we can't even tell. And so what we do is we take the church and say, let's fit Jesus' commands into the culture. And then you have nothing. The two can't, Well, once you fit Jesus' commands into the culture, you no longer have Jesus' commands. You have something completely different. But 
personally, not just, well, that's all the churches out there. This, personally, though, we actually start to believe our own reasons and excuses. We actually believe them unless Jesus would show up in the flesh and confront, the, confront us on them. Then we might think, well, perhaps I don't believe these as much as I say I do. We need to look back at the selfless love of Jesus. Amen? We need to look at his life. That's what he's saying. As I've loved you, the command, you need to look at me. You need to look at my life. We need to look back at the selfless love of Jesus. He came. When he came, remember, he set the bar. He was above the law and above the Roman culture. He knocked the pillars out of both because the law, remember the law keepers, the Pharisees, they had... They could say, well, we showed love because we put some tithe or some mint in and did this and did that, and we put it in the offering plate. And Jesus said, you don't love people. You love power. The culture, it had a lustful culture, but not a real love culture. The Roman culture was very lustful, but not love. So he undercut both the law and the culture. But we have to look to him and reprioritize our lives. Church, when there's a real, and I'm talking about a lot of times there's not real needs. Sometimes people have little things that aren't real needs, something they need to do themselves. But, but on the other hand, you've got to be able to distinguish which is which, right? If someone's, here, here's a good example. Someone, if someone posts on Facebook, I really need a Starbucks right now, that's not a real need. <laughs> we're, all, we're all clear on that, right? It's not a real need. My wife will say it sometimes to me, and I'll say, need or you would like one badly. I, I know we, we know, but, but on the other hand, there's also sometimes people are crying out, and they actually do have a real need, a real desperate need. Jesus met needs. He did not meet everyone's wants and whims. But if there's a real need, and I might add an opportunity we, don't, we, we, we shouldn't look at everything that Jesus did as, oh, I'm going to die to myself and go love somebody. What about an opportunity to go love somebody? Why don't we look at it in a positive light? If there's a real need or opportunity, don't, brother and sister, do not immediately get out your phone, look at your calendar, and say to yourselves, nope, I'm not available. I'm telling you, it, when you get to heaven, I believe Jesus will back me up on, this, on that statement right there. I know it's true. Do not just get out your phone and say, well, I looked at my calendar, not available. Even me, I, I'm going down to Raleigh this week. I was not available when Pastor Rodney asked me, do you want to come down? I said, I, I've got this. I got." This. But it's love for him and the body of Christ loves each other. You say, all right, what can I do to modify my calendar? What can I do to move things around, even if we have to move a prayer night or whatever? But I believe that other people want to love us back sometimes. Amen? It works both ways. And even if it didn't, instead, maybe we start getting out our Bible and talking to God before we always look, nope, not available. Sorry, not available. What if it was God asking the question through a person, but you assumed it was the person? What if it was really Jesus saying, that question came from me. I just passed it through the person. You rejected the person. Think what Jesus said. And we know in Matthew 25 this is true because they said, when did we give you a cup of water? He said, when you gave it to them. 
you gave it to me. So he already says this is the case, that many times he's put a person to stand in his place just to see how we're going to react. So I didn't see you, I just saw some dude down the street and he wasn't all that important to me. Jesus said, well, that actually was me. So, we have to look at say, Lord, what do you want me to do? The sand is moving through the hourglass in our lives right now. When we got in here tonight, more sand went through the hourglass since when we started. Now, not 10 years from now, is the time for us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? We're not guaranteed 10 years from now. So we have to do it now. I love the words of commendation from Joshua. In Joshua chapter 22, verses 3 and 4, he gives it to two and a half tribes. He says, you have not left your brethren these many days, and now the Lord has given you rest. You've not left your brethren. You've, you've put your lives on the line for these many days, and now the Lord's going to give you rest. You see, we're not only commanded to love like Jesus, but our real joy and our real rest comes from loving like Jesus. Do you believe that? That the real rest comes from loving like Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, the labor of self-love is a heavy one indeed. As long as you set yourself up as a little God to which you must be loyal, how can you uh, hope to find inward peace? He said, how are you going to find inward peace if you're always serving yourself? Self as a slave master. It's um, said in Proverbs 11.25, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Jesus, God says, here's the principle. Go pour out your life on others, and I'll pour out the watering on you. It's both a scriptural and time-tested fact that serving and catering to ourselves Living to make ourselves happy will never work. It'll never, ever, ever work. The people that have the most of everything in Hollywood entertainment are many of them just absolutely miserable. Maybe a seventh house will make me happy. Maybe another million. Maybe a billion. All of this stuff. Um, yet sadly, many Christians are still trying to make this philosophy work in their life. And they, may, they don't have the millions, but just, again, how can I make my little utopia and insulate myself to make myself really happy? And even if it could work, even if this could work, Jesus, the Bible says it won't work, but even if it could work, it would be in direct opposition to the command of Christ and the will. You've got to go back to Jesus' life. If you watch Jesus for three years, when in those three years did he try and cater to himself? Can you think of a time that he said, today is all about me? No. It was always about everybody else. So if you lived according, so even if it could work, if making ourselves happy could work, which the Bible says it can't, but if it could, it would be in direct opposition to this command of Jesus. So we either have something that won't work or we have direct disobedience. Neither are a good choice, wouldn't you say? We have this perfect example. 
it would be in direct opposition. And the opposition to Christ's example um, is just a worldly philosophy. You've got the worldly philosophy on one side, and you have Christ's command on the other side. Jesus never said to his disciples, work hard, play hard, dudes. Work hard, play hard. Do that, you're going to be fine. That's not going to get Peter to be hang. That's not going to really have the kind of strength to get him to hang upside down on a cross someday. Right? He's going to need a little more spiritual backbone from the Lord than that. No, he said, love as I have loved you, as I have loved you. And now they would really understand the full weight of this when he went to the cross, because the statement is given before the cross. They have all that, what, what they've seen up until that point, and that's already a high bar, but then he's going to take it way higher to the cross. But the command won't drop off. It will be filled up. It will actually be more magnified when he does that final act of love. We need to preach to ourselves the life of Christ. Tomorrow when you're driving to work, uh, Friday, wherever you're at, you need to remind yourself, how, Jesus, how do I love like you love? Because there, what, there's not going to be, well, there may be a pastor in the car like, you know, Chuck Swindoll on your radio or, you know, J David Jeremiah or, you know, people like that. And they might say the same thing, but if there's no one around to preach to you, you have to preach to yourself. Say, Lord, how do I love like you loved? His life was spent, poured out for the benefit of others. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So not only have he said, I want you to love as I've loved, but I've already kind of roadmapped your life to love as I've loved to live it out. You know that saying, stay in your lane? You know that one? Stay in your lane. This is our lane. This is our lane to fulfill the works of God. We're all to stay in that lane to fulfill the works of God. And a primary element within his will is for us to actively and intentionally go and love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to have to go to them. We'll have to get off the couch to do it. We'll have to get in the car to do it. We'll have to actually... Think ahead. Uh, you know, I, I noticed that this is, this is a sad commentary in the body of Christ today. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying this in every situation, because there's a lot of situations that doesn't apply where people, but so many times people do a lot of forward planning for everything except for the things that relate to working with other believers. That's just kind of like, we'll just kind of wing that, Right? But everything else gets a, I mean, if it's a trip, if it's a, a, a birthday party, if it's a social event, I mean, it's, it's scripted to the max. But if it's anything close to living like Jesus, we'll keep that kind of really open-ended, I might be available, maybe, I'll get back to you when it's like five minutes being over. When we finally got involved in actually serving in the church, uh, me and my wife were, uh, were down in Charlotte at the time. My wife was in her late 20s. Uh, we were both in our late 20s. Um, our first area to serve was the toddler ministry. 
Uh, we didn't have kids at the time, but we just kind of were sitting in the service one day, and we looked around, and we saw these other families that had young kids, and no one told us except for the Holy Spirit and reading our Bibles. We looked around, we saw these families with little kids, and we said, perhaps we could help them by serving in toddler ministry. No one, no one came and gave me any grief. No one said, you need to serve. We just kind of looked around and said, maybe we could be of help. We, we're able-bodied. We rollerblade after work, so we, we can handle this. this was, rollerblading was big in the 90s, by the way. Uh, so we'd rollerblade after work. We're in shape. We should be able to handle these toddlers. And we used to, in, in college, we ran a, my wife and I ran a summer camp down in Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. So we, we kind of had some experience. We thought we could do this, and so we did. Uh, she did the diapers. I did the stop crying, you know, that kind of thing. You know, so we each had our role, but uh, later... When we had, later when we had kids, uh, we still felt the need to serve. Even later when we had kids, no one again, no one was telling us, "Hey, you should be serving because you've got kids." And now you're, but we thought, "Hey, we're contributing to the workload here. Our kids are actually part of the workload, so maybe we, you know, we could we could get in there and, and serve, and maybe we can help lighten it." But the point is this: love is always an action. It's not just a thought. Say, so, you know, it'd be a really good idea. Let's think about that and in 100 years maybe do it. No, it, it's an action. It's not a theoretical thing, but it's tangible, but it's also practical. When Jesus gives fish and loaves, you actually can eat that. Would you agree? It's actually edible. It actually strengthens you. The whole book of James, we went through it as men, and our men, it, it, faith without works is what? Dead. Love without actions did. You have a marriage where you say, I love my wife, just don't talk to her. You have a relationship with God, I just don't talk to him. In either case, you don't really have a relationship. But love without action is the same thing. I love my kids. I just, you know, I hope someone feeds them. I hope they learn to go to the grocery store too. No, it's an action. I'm... Yeah, maybe we're just preaching to the choir here tonight. I, I, I wanted to share this with us anyway. But we need to, we need to get involved. We've got a couple months left in the year. We've got 2020 coming up. I, I think the next year is kind of a cool year. 2020. There's not going to be another year like that until 2121. I love, the, I love the imagery of 2020, a 2020 vision that we would look at this coming year saying, Lord, we're going to be more visibly 360 view. We're going to have our eyes open to loving the body of Christ the way you've called us to do, as you've set the example. Not, not our own low-level definitions, but lift it up to your level. Get involved. Get uncomfortable for the sake of blessing others. Get to know the body of Christ. Love people enough to provide some relief, some encouragement, some friendship, some help, some rest, maybe even a laugh or a smile. Somebody could probably use a laugh, you know, to come along and lighten their day a little bit. Love people past their flaws. You got them too. I got them. We all got them, so love people past their flaws. The scriptures tell us to consider others better than ourselves. I mean, this is not the American way right now. 
Everybody says, I'm better than you, and that's why my Twitter uh, comment is better than yours. Um, we saw this in Hebrews chapter 6. You know, God's not going to miss our commitment to love. We talked about that it has to be, um, has to be lived out, but it has to be a, a commitment. Uh, remember Hebrews 6.10, we just went through it. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name that you have ministered to the who? To the saints. And do minister. And so the writer was saying, keep doing that. Keep loving on each other. But it has to be spirit-given. What do I mean by that? You can't love like Jesus out of guilt. Jesus did not say this to guilt the disciples into it. He had been loving them authentically, and he knew that they had experienced it. It wasn't a, I'm going to make you guilty. He said, just keep, come along and do what I'm doing. You can't do it out of guilt. I wouldn't want to guilt anyone into loving like Christ. It wouldn't work. Uh, and self-determination won't do it either. Self-determination won't do it either. It won't last. Guilt won't last. Self-determination won't last. But with salvation, here's something that will make it last. We're given two unshakable things that can help us love as Christ is loved. He would not give the commandment if he doesn't give us the capacity to keep the commandment. Not to perfection, but to be, as he says, good and faithful servant. Two unshakable things we're given. One, we're given the imputed righteousness of Christ. What is that word? Uh, the word imputed means the legal right. We have the legal right given to us by Jesus to live according to his nature. Isn't that cool? The imputed righteousness of Christ means you've been given the legal right. God has stamped the legal right in your spirit that you can't even see and I can't see either. The legal right to live according to the nature of Jesus. Not according to his perfection, according to his nature. Number two, then he said, I'll give you the helper or the Holy Spirit to help you do it. So we have the implanted nature and we have the implanted spirit of God. And both of those are far greater than guilt or self-will. Agree? We have it. We, we, we have to be in agreement. Say, yes, Lord, I believe, help me to do this, and then God will do his part. And as we love sincerely and sacrificially and in ways we hadn't even thought of, Jesus makes us this promise, and we'll close with this. We have a promised outcome here. Just two verses that we looked at tonight. Jesus said, again, verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's the example that you also love one another. Verse 35, by this, well, all, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's an outcome that's not just internal. We'll have an internal more peace, more joy when we actually love like Christ. But we also have something external here, which maybe nobody expected until Jesus says it. Yes, we'll be in obedience and harmony with the Holy Spirit, and that will give us soul rest personally. And yes, we'll find that actual peace and that actual fulfillment and serving and pouring out that we'll never find trying to make ourselves happy. But amazingly, our love for one another will be a distinct facet and be in a light to the world and in our work of evangelism. The world will look and say, wow, you guys actually make meals for each other when you're sick? You actually do that? You actually, you know, you actually would actually give up 
your Saturday to go help somebody? Do you actually stop everything? In other words, loving one another won't result in a holy huddle on Sundays. That's kind of our extent is, you know, we have that, remember that uh, right after announcement, she's shaking it. There's our love. That's it. Hey, nice to see you. I'll see you next week. That's it. That's the holy huddle. Nothing wrong with that little moment, but that in and of itself isn't going to carry a whole lot of weight to the outside world. They do that on Monday morning. Hey, how's your weekend? All right. Back to the cubicle you go. <laughs> no. Real, um, this, this light that the world will see, um, it's not going to be this holy huddle. If you continue on and read chapter 14 and chapter 15, you actually see where Jesus takes it. This, what he starts with here, actually ends up in his disciples into evangelism at the end of chapter 15. You'll see that, and the Holy Spirit is involved in that work. But it starts with them loving one another. It will bring others who are searching for what genuine love actually looks like. It'll bring others to come to Christ. Uh, I, there, a lot of this was happening in Costa Mesa under Pastor Chuck in the early 70s. People saw what real love looked like, and it drew them to the Lord. David Stern, I don't have time to read it right now, but Messianic Jewish believer who wrote the Jewish commentary on the New Testament, uh, he, he comments on this. He says, on this passage, he says, it wasn't everyone's great arguments for the faith that brought me to Christ. He was, it was said it was me watching these Messianic Jewish believers love on each other, and it, it, finally I said, i got to go check this out. And Jesus said, this will happen. That's a great, isn't this, isn't this a great promise that Jesus, you're not going to have to like whip up some sort of great billboards and, and uh, come up with the best uh, Facebook ads the world's ever seen and all this stuff. You're not going to think of all of this stuff. You're going to actually just start to demonstrate genuine love, and it'll actually be a light in a dark place especially the way our country is headed right now. People can't stand each other. Never been a better time for us to live this out. Would you not agree? And especially if we look diverse and different in living it out. I believe we have a headroom of capacity for love for one another that's far beyond what we've even reached to date. Do you agree with that? That what we've seen and experienced. And as we live it out, as we grow as we mature, others will come to salvation through it. I don't even know how that all works. I just know Jesus says, isn't that cool? He didn't say, and try and figure this out. He just says it'll happen. So this time next year, we, we get more and more loving each other. We, we'll see new believers sitting here this time next year. They'll be here, and you won't have had any idea. He said, the Spirit blows how it wishes. John chapter 3, you don't even know how it's working. But he says, if you live this out, I'm going to do some great things. Just imagine if we determine with Jesus' help that nobody here at Calvary Chapel Richmond is left out from the love of Christ. That we say, we're not leaving anybody out. That everyone that Christ wants to extend the love to gets it. There's probably brothers and sisters, including probably the leader of uh, maybe a study group or prayer group, that will be so encouraged if some of you just come and show up and are present. Just your being there. Well, I didn't contribute anything. No, you're just your being there will actually bless and encourage the people that are there. They thought, oh, I thought I was going to be the only one to show up. No, you're there too. Great. That'll be an encouragement. There's probably a brother or sister here to, 
at, at CCR, there's probably someone here that needs a new vehicle uh, or major repairs. There's probably a handful of people that actually can make the whole thing happen. They have the means to do it. Maybe they're not aware of it, but you've got to get to know people to even know needs. I'm sure someone here is ready and willing to go on a mission trip if somebody would help them. Guarantee it. There's somebody that says, I would have gone last year just if, if somebody helps me get there. There's some people that can help. There's probably some single moms or single parents that could really use some help this year at Christmas or be invited over for Thanksgiving that somebody could do it. More than a few somebodies could do it. I mean, I'm saying these are the things Jesus thinks of. I'm not saying that they're, uh, oh, that, that's just the easiest thing in the world. But these are the things that Jesus thought of. He, he looked for the people that were on the margins, that were not being thought of. There's probably somebody who wishes somebody would just stop and pray with them. They've probably been here weeks saying, I wish somebody would say, can I pray with you? I bet there's somebody who wants to be discipled, but they don't even know who to ask or where to go. Guarantee there's at least one person and this has no idea who to go to or where to go. Sometimes they'll find me, but they look for me. I'm in a conversation. They forget. It's probably that. There's probably a ministry area that's about two or three volunteers away from just setting it on fire in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> I mean, really, the, you, the, 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 the exponential impact when you're moving furniture and there's two of you and three people show up, it's off the charts. It's the same thing in ministry. You take two disciples and add two more and you have four, you do a lot. It's amazing what a little bit of addition. There's probably a missionary right now uh, praying that somebody here in the States is thinking of them. That somebody will think of them. That somebody will pray for them. That somebody will send them some help. That somebody maybe will come visit them. I guarantee there's hundreds of missionaries thinking this right now, even tonight. There's probably an as of yet left out individual that nobody has ever invited to lunch. And they see people all go to their lunch destinations and they're like, when's someone going to invite me? You know, there's probably someone here that, that fits that description. It's time, Jesus would say it's past time to do these kind of things. We need to pray, Lord, show us the gaps and show us our spiritual gifts to fill those gaps. We don't even talk about spiritual gifts in the church anymore. It's another reason why we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit, things like that. Lord, show us the gaps, but show us our gifts and let us exercise these things. We need to discuss these things strategically. Did you know that? We have to discuss these things strategically. Did you know love makes time, but it also makes plans? Those of you that have ever surprised your spouse with a date, you had to think it through and plan it out, didn't you? Love takes that kind of action. You can't just, you know, well, I'll think about it when I get there. It's too late. We've already missed opportunities. We have to uh, do these things. Listen, church, as we listen to the command of Jesus to love one another, as we listen to the voice of the Spirit saying, Arise, give up to give out the love of Christ, the light will shine bright. Do you believe that? That the light will shine bright when we do this. Lives will be strengthened 
and new lives will miraculously be saved. According to Jesus, people are going to know you're his disciples. Jesus is waiting, and I believe the world is watching. Let's do what Jesus has asked us and see fruits we never imagined. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder of Jesus' words here. I know that we know these words, but Lord, I pray that even the next few days and, and even the next few weeks and as we finish out this year, we'll preach these words to ourselves and Lord, we'll encourage and love on one another, but we'll also think strategically, Lord, how, how, do, we, how do we do some of these things? In some, in some cases, it's very small things, but Lord, it'll have a big impact. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just pour out your love in and through us to help us, Lord, to be the light to, be, to lighten loads internally, but also be the light that you've asked us to be outside. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I do want to just say, you know, as I close here, this is, I hope, I, I'm sharing this, this passage is an encouragement to me. I was not thinking about this verse. I'm riding down the road or something, and the verse came to my mind, and it wouldn't leave my mind. Jesus, it was like, Holy Spirit kept saying, uh, by this, all men will know that you're truly my disciple. You have love for another. I'm like, I hadn't thought strategically about that verse a lot for a while, even though I try and live it out. And the Lord's like, I know I want you to meditate and marinate on it. And then I want you to teach on it. I'm going to go to North Carolina and teach the same thing. But a lot of the things, and we want to talk about this in our men's groups, ladies as well, is a lot of what God, I believe God wants to are really small little changes that really do have a huge impact, where we kind of look differently at, at people when we walk in a, I mean, in a good way to say, Lord, who is not, who's being left out? And all these kind of things that we kind of think, just little slight changes. And you know, I don't have time to get into it tonight, but um, I hope that makes sense to you. And may the Lord just give you wisdom and understanding of what it all means. But Jesus, again, he didn't give us the list. He gave us his life. Amen? Let's uh, be dismissed. God bless you. Have a good evening.